You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. glad to be here. I believe each one of us, we're in the right place at the right time. And uh, life gets better starting right now. Because the Bible says when we gather together, God shows up. And I just believe wherever God is, life gets better. So I encourage you to have an expectation today that life's going to get better. I don't know. I don't know how God's going to make everything work out. But here's what I do know. Everything's going to be okay. That's just the way God is. He turns things around for your good. He moves things for your, for your benefit. He heals, he delivers, he saves. I had a friend tell me recently, I don't even know why I call him my friend anymore, but I had a friend tell me, I had a friend tell me recently that he, he, did, he believed that the day of miracles was over. And I said, well, that's fine. That's fine if you want to believe that. I said, I, maybe I could agree with that. I said, but my problem is I don't believe in a day of miracles. I believe in a God of miracles. Amen. And he hasn't passed away. If you, want, if you want to just say it's one day, okay, well, maybe your day of miracle is over. But, uh, but my God of miracles is still seated on the throne, and, uh, and he still does great things. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, I, it really is an honor for me to be here, to be in, in this church with this, with this church family, with, with, my, uh, with my parents. It means a lot to me that to... To see them uh, in their ministry and, and see them being honored the way that they are and to see you love on them the way that you do just as, as their son, let me, let me just express gratitude from, from my family and from my brother and sister. I know they would say the same thing. It means a lot to us to know that, that our parents are in a place where people love them and honor them and respect them. And, um, <clears throat> you know... In the book of Acts, it says of, of a pastor that he, was, that he was a good man, full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what you have here as pastors. A good man and woman, full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. And when you have someone who is good, and full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit, great things can happen. There's a, there's a beautiful flow that starts to take place in your life. And so thank you for being a part of this church. Thank you for being here. And, you know, I, I know that over the years, like most churches, churches go through transitions and leaders come and leaders go and leaders change. And, but you're still here. And that's beautiful. That says a lot about you, your own character, your own nature. And so I thank you. And I, and I am so glad to be <clears throat> in Oklahoma on a weekend when the Oklahoma Sooners <laughs> trounce the Oklahoma State uh, Cowboys. <laughs> I feel an extra anointing in the house today. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It, it, it's tough for me being an Oklahoma Sooner fan living in Austin, Texas, but I, uh, I consider myself a missionary <coughs> sent, sent to save the lost. Um, so <coughs> I, I try to tell uh, my church, we have a good time with this. They, they, uh, they tease me and, and on on Texas OU weekend, instead of saying amen, they'll yell out hook them or something like that, you know. And, um, 
But I tell them, now, I, any Texas Longhorn fans in here that would even admit it? Lord, okay, well, we're going to do an altar call for salvation at the end of the service. And, uh, <clears throat> no, I, I, just tell, I just tell all my Longhorn uh, uh, lost sinners that, um, that it's no accident that your hand sign is the same sign that we'd use to say the devil, too. Um, it, it's, it, and, and, and it's not enough, it's not enough that, you're, that, 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 that your color is orange, but you want to call it burnt orange, like it's already been to hell. You know, it's, it's <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't seem coincidental to me. It just it seems like it, it all adds up. It all, it all makes sense. When, when, when we've got the Oklahoma Sooners that are, that are uh, crimson, which is what the Bible describes the color of the blood of Jesus. So, I, I don't know. I just... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It, it adds up to me. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't add up to everybody else. Maybe I'm seeing through rose-colored glasses, but it, it all kind of, kind of makes sense to me when I read the Word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. I have a, <clears throat> honestly, a very simple thought to share with you today. And, and I appreciate the introduction by my mother, and I appreciate that she says, the things that she does about this thought um, and this, this sermon, I appreciate that very much. Um, <clears throat> I, have, I have preached this sermon a few times, and, and every time I preach it, it overwhelms me. And, you know, there's something about, the Bible says of Jesus that when he taught, the people were astonished. The Greek word for astonished there means they were knocked out of their senses. <clears throat> and I'm not here to do that to you today, but I do want to say this. Jesus in John 1, 1 says that he's the word. That means that every time we open this book, we ought to be knocked out of our senses. Something in it ought to come so alive to us that, we're, that we stand in awe of the beauty of the word of God. We should never just approach it like, well, i got to do my Bible reading today. No, no, no. no, no. I'm, I'm open to Word with an expectation to be knocked out of my senses by the revelation Amen. of this Word. Amen. That's good. And oftentimes it's the simple things that we miss and the simple truths that we get so accustomed to and we get so familiar and we, and we, have, our, we, are, we have our sayings and our, our cliches, our Christian terms that we use and these things become routine for us, and as they become routine, somehow they lose their impact. And I, I just want to remind you of a very simple, very simple and very routine thought today that, that I hope in some way to bring its impact back to you. 1 John chapter 4, I read from the New King James Bible, I know Pastor John is a King James guy, but <clears throat> we'll, be, we'll be new King James today. <laughs> is that old King James's younger brother? King Jimmy. Oh, King Jimmy. Thank you, little brother. We affectionately call him Bubba. <clears throat> All right, here we go. First John chapter four. First John chapter four and verse seven. 
It says, Beloved, or beloved, or if I could say it to you like this as a command today, be loved. Make note of that. Just make note of that word for just a moment. Beloved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this moment, for this time. I ask you, Lord, to speak to us today through your word. You tell us in your word that you have chosen the preaching of the word to reveal yourself. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to reveal yourself to us. Speak to us by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead and guide us to truth today. As the Apostle Paul prayed, I also pray and ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be at work within our spirits so that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we would know you better, so that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power and the exceeding riches of your inheritance in the saints. We open this word this morning as, as a treasure chest to receive and to read the treasure and to receive the beauty of the treasure into our hearts. I thank you, Lord, for revealing to us today how much you truly love us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, would you just turn to your neighbor and say something nice? Tell them how pretty they are or something. Say, I'm glad to be sitting next to you. If they're a stranger, don't touch them. That's weird. Don't touch them. <clears throat> if you don't know them, just say hi. <clears throat> Kevin O'Brien, it's good to see you. Glad you're here. Mm -hmm, sitting in the back. <clears throat> this verse, before I get to this, did you notice what just happened? I just told you to tell them how pretty they are, and y'all started a whole conversation. <laughs> but, but, but that's how wonderful edification is. And when you encourage somebody, it brings a smile on their face, and you want to talk about more things. People that edify you, you want to have a conversation with. People that tear you down, you want to avoid. Yeah. But people who edify you, you actually want to have a conversation with them. And so be that kind of person, be an edifier, be someone who encourages others. 1 John chapter 4 tells us, verse 8 says that God is love. Not that God has love, not that God does love. Although He has love and He does love. But that's not what this verse of Scripture says. This verse of Scripture says that He is love. Meaning then that God and love... Those two words, I'm not talking about God the being, I'm talking about the word. The word God and the word love should be then easily substituted for one another throughout the scriptures that we read. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know as the chapter of love, but let's just put God there for a moment and say that God bears all things, God believes all things, God hopes all things, God endures all things, and God never fails. You can substitute those two things, those two words in place of one another because they are the same. God is love. 
As I was reading this one day, I just had a thought, and it sent me on a journey through the Scriptures to compile a few thoughts together to create this sermon that I call Love's Greatest Quest. And it took me all the way to Genesis, the very first time that, that God had an encounter with man. He encountered a man by the name of Adam. Adam's name means man or mankind. So Adam, just his name, means that he represents all of us as human beings. He doesn't necessarily represent all of us as Christians, but he does represent us as human beings. And God has this encounter with this human being, the representation of all of us. He creates him in a beautiful fashion and has relationship with him and talks to him and visits with him in the, in the cool of the evening, the Bible says. Had regular communion with him and talks with him and fellowship with him. And this is the beautiful side of, of, of Adam that, that is a picture of our Christianity. But we know what happened to Adam. Most of the time, we don't even think about when someone says Adam and Eve, we hardly ever think about the time that God came in the cool of the evening and walked with them. We almost always think about that fruit that they ate. Because that's what he's most known for. That's what she's most known for. So they did eat the fruit. And God, or for the sake of this discussion today, love came to the garden to see his friend that he visited regularly. And when he got there, love couldn't find his friend. And love called out, mankind, where are you? And Adam said, we hid ourselves. But in that moment, you know, there's some discussion about this, and I'm not here to pick a theological fight today, but there's some discussion that, well, God knew where he was. He was just asking the question for Adam's sake so that Adam would realize that he was lost. Can I just tell you something? Adam knew he was lost. He was hiding. <laughs> he didn't need that question to bring some kind of revelation to him of his current state. He was fully aware. God asked the question, love asked the question, because for the first time, there was a disconnect that had never been there before. Wow. And love couldn't instantly contact his friend. And love began, throughout the scriptures, love began a journey to find mankind. And love on its journey found a few people that I want to talk about today. Because love in his journey was trying to paint a picture for a generation that previous generations knew was coming. They prophesied about it. They talked about it. They longed to be that generation. But knowing that they weren't, they knew there was a generation that was coming that would have a relationship with God that mankind had never known before since Adam but love needed other men to participate, to help along the way, to help paint a picture of what his love was really going to be like and what this relationship was really going to mean to us. And on love's great journey, it came across a man by the name of Abraham. And love found Abraham, and in, in that man, love found a man who would believe him. 
a man who had faith, revealing to us today that faith is how we contact God. The New Testament tells us that faith works by love. It was the partnership of love and faith that, 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 that made the New Testament writers write such things as faith works by love. The two are inseparable. You can't, you, can't, you can't have faith working if love is not present. And love revealed that to us in the life of this man named Abraham. And love revealed that through that faith that mankind would be made righteous by faith and faith alone. For the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed in the Lord. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. Love was painting a picture for us so that we would know there was not enough good that you could do for God to love you. He was going to love you because it's who he is. And all he's looking for from you is that you would believe him. Jesus said it in John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever would believe. If I could just put this in simplest terms today, it says this. God loves you. He sent his son to prove that he loved you. Believe him. We get this idea again from Abraham. A man who believed God, but also a man because of his belief in God, was willing to sacrifice his only son. For love's sake, was willing to sacrifice his only son, which allowed love then to have a doorway to offer his only son. And love moved from Abraham to a man by the name of David. David... Messed up, didn't he? We know David for a few things. David and Goliath. And David and Bathsheba. That's how we know him. Which, which ladies should show you something. Uh, you, you, you ladies are much more powerful than a giant. Because <laughs> he won the fight. He, won, he beat the giant, but he couldn't beat the lady. <laughs> But it's not an accident that love searched through the house of a man named Jesse and picked the boy that was on the back side of the farm that nobody could see and very few even knew he was there. But it's no accident that love passed all of them and reached back to a boy named David whose name means Beloved. He picked the one whose very name means loved. And what we see in this is that David understood about the love of God. He understood it in such a way that, that we still talk about it, we sing about it. We sing the words of David, we talk about the words of David still today. 
Lord, you are good, and you do good. This is David who had great highs and great lows, but in the midst of all of that, something he knew about God's love was, it, was that he could confidently say, he knew that God loved him so much that he could confidently say, Lord, you're good. And it's no accident that in, Genesis, in, in Acts chapter 15, when the, when the disciples and the apostles are having an argument about whether we as Gentiles can come in, that, that, that Peter is saying, all I did was tell Cornelius that God was good. All I did was tell Cornelius that God was good. And James stands up and says, whoa, wait a minute. You did what? He said, I said that God was good. All I did was tell him that God was good. I couldn't help it. God did his own thing. All I told him was that God was good. And James says, this is the fulfillment of prophecy then that God was going to reestablish the tabernacle of the beloved. It was the goodness of God that revealed to the apostles that it was the tabernacle of the beloved that was now on the earth. And love journeyed from David and listen, there's a lot of people that we could point out, lots of people we could talk about today, but honestly, we don't have the time to do it. Say thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> but I do want to talk about one more character from the Old Testament because I love this picture. Love encountered a man, a prophet by the name of Hosea. And he told Hosea, Hosea was a prophet, a man of God, a good man, raised in church. Followed God, did what God told him, spoke what God told him to speak, and God shows up and says, Hosea, I found you a wife. <laughs> Can you imagine? In, in, in our, our natural mentalities, I did all these things right. I've earned something really special. Can you imagine what was going through Hosea's mind when, when God said, I got her picked out. Hosea, come with me, I'm going to show her to you. Oh, man, this is the best surprise gift I've ever gotten. And he takes him somewhere down around the east side. <laughs> Little rougher part of town. And Hosea's standing there, and God says, there she is. Uh... Lord, no, uh, all I see are prostitutes. And love says, yeah. And it's that one right there. Uh, if prostitute wasn't a deal breaker, surely her name is the deal breaker because her name was Gomer. I watched enough Andy Griffith to know that <laughs> if you got a girl named Gomer, this is bad. This is bad. But, but, but God, that's, that's, that's Gomer, the prostitute. And Love said, yeah, I've got to paint a picture and I need your help and this is the only way to do it. He said, I want you to take her as your wife. And so Hosea did. He took Gomer the prostitute as his wife. And the Bible says that she continued to wander. 
she started having babies that didn't look like Hosea. But Hosea stayed and kept taking care of the kids while Gomer wandered. And one day she wandered and she didn't come home. And Hosea went to find her. And he asked her friends, where have you seen Gomer? No, she's not here. He went to her usual places and she wasn't there. He heard a noise around the corner and as he walked around the corner, he sees his wife Gomer on the auction block. He says, that's my wife. He said, if you want her, you'll have to buy her. But that's my wife. If you want her, you will have to buy her. And Hosea reached in his pocket, pulled out the money, and bought her, even though she was already his. And he bought her. <clears throat> and the Bible tells us that Hosea, who represents God, love himself in the picture, and Gomer, who represents all of us. He said, no longer will you call me your master. Will you call me your husband? Because I love you. Love revealing to us that even though love owns us, he's also willing to buy us to prove to us that he loves us. The word redemption means to be purchased and to be bought. After these various men, it was time for love to do something it had never done before. And love became flesh and dwelt among us. And love said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Love shows up and says, I'm here to find Adam. I'm here to find mankind. And love in the flesh painted a picture for us that said that the blind could see, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, the lepers could be cleansed, and the dead could live. Love raised little girls from the dead, and love delivered older women from their diseases of flowing blood. Love stood at the tomb of his friend Lazarus and wept and at the same time called him out of the ground. Love is touched by the things that touch you, but love is powerful enough to deliver you from the things that move you and hurt you and steal from you. And love... <clears throat> found itself one day in a garden, a garden called Gethsemane. And in that garden, <clears throat> the sins of the world were coming upon him. 
And he cried out, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Now the thing you have to know about love and about Jesus himself is he didn't over-exaggerate. If he said, My soul is dying, then he was dying. That moment, he was dying. And he cries out in the garden, <clears throat> Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And some have speculated that this is a moment of weakness in the flesh of Jesus himself, that in that moment he was crying out for God to do something else. In that moment, he was breaking down saying, I can't take it. But I'm here to challenge that thought today. Because in the book of Mark, what it says, he doesn't ask for the cup to pass. He says, let this hour pass from me. Let this hour pass from me. What is happening in Jesus's body is that his body is breaking down. And he, what set in on him was an actual medical condition called hematohydrosis, where the capillaries of his blood vessels are bursting and blood is coming out of his pores. Some have said that he had drops of blood on his head. The Bible says that he sweat great drops of blood. Hematohydrosis says that blood comes out of every pore of your body, not just your head. Blood was coming out of him everywhere. And scientists that have studied such cases have said the longest that a person has lived once this condition sets in is 15 minutes. They can live no longer than 15 minutes. And hematohydrosis had set in on Jesus's body from the stress of the sin of the world that was being laid on him. And he was crying out for God to deliver him from that moment. He wasn't crying crying out for God to deliver him from the cross. He was crying out for God to deliver him from that moment so he could get to the cross. He wasn't trying to get away from it. He was trying to get to it. In that moment, listen to me, in that moment, love was crying out. Love was crying out for you. Love was crying out for me. Love was saying, I can't die here. I can't die right here. I haven't gone to a whipping post yet. I haven't taken stripes to pay for their sicknesses and their diseases. Love wasn't trying to quit. Love was trying to complete. Love wasn't trying to walk away. Love was trying to heal you. I haven't been whipped yet. I've got to get to the whipping post. And it wasn't a whipping post like any other whipping post. It wasn't a whipping post like we think. That he stood against a post and they whipped him with a few whips and he had whelps on his back. No, he was whipped by a Roman lictern with a tool called the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails was nine, nine braids. And within those nine braids were shards of iron and shards of glass. And that Roman lictern was so well trained that he could swing that that tool, that whip, and at the last minute twist his wrist and it would spray those braids out and they would stick in all parts of the body and then with one yank he would pull full strips of skin away. Yeah. And Jesus wasn't whipped standing upright against a post like we often see. That's not how the Romans did it. They had a short stump and they tied him down this way so that the Roman lictern could get gravity working for him, so that he could swing over his head and down. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus took stripes on his back. 
The Bible said he took stripes. The Roman lictors were known to remove men's noses and ears. He had stripes from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Jesus was whipped so severely, so severely. He's already had hematohydrosis. Now he's being whipped to the point of death. Full strips of skin and flesh being ripped off of his body. Meat and sinew being ripped out of his body. And the Bible says when he stood back before the people, they couldn't even recognize him as a man. He was beaten so badly. Can you imagine? He had a... He could have quit. Listen, if you're not convinced that Jesus wants you well, then you don't understand what he did to pay for your healing. It wasn't just simple whelps. He was torn to shreds at that whipping post. He said, but that's still not enough. That's still not enough. I've got to get to a cross. I have to have my hands pierced to purchase for them the blessing of the prosperous hands. I have to have my feet pierced and blood shed so that I can purchase for them the feet that possess the land. I have to have my side pierced so that I can give birth to a beautiful church. I have to take a crown of thorns on my head so that my brow will bleed, breaking the curse from the very beginning that says, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eke out a living, and even in that, you will not be satisfied. I have to break that curse. It's not complete in the garden. It's still not complete at the whipping post. Love is crying out, there's still more. I still have to take more. I still have to be punished more. Love is on that cross. And in that moment, he's bled from every pore. He's had his flesh violently removed from his body. He's nailed in his hands, nailed in his feet, and a crown of thorns on his head. Naked before the whole world. And one guy says, remember me. And love couldn't help itself. Love said, all right. I don't know that any one of us would have been there. You've, you've seen me. You've known me. You know what I've done. How come you didn't believe before now? It's too late. But love says, it's never too late. It's never too late. Those loved ones you're believing for, listen, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late for them. It's never too late for you. It's never too late. Love says it's never too late. He'll take you all the way up to the very last second of your breath. He loves you. And the Bible says that love gave up his life. No one took it from him. He gave it as a sacrifice. <clears throat> love goes from the garden. Love goes to the whipping post. 
Love goes to the crown of thorns. Love went to the cross. Love's hands and feet were pierced. His side was pierced. Love was laid into a tomb. But that still wasn't enough. Love then went down, the Bible says, to the very depths of the earth, the very depths of hell. It went down there. Love went down there to take away the power and the authority of death, hell, and the grave from the devil himself. Love said, it's not enough to deliver them this one time. I have to take the power so that their deliverance is eternal. So that death no longer has a hold on them. So that sin no longer has a power over their lives anymore. So that the grave cannot, cannot hold them for eternity. I take all of that back. And from the garden, to the whipping post, to the cross, to the grave. And that still wasn't enough. Not for love. Because love goes above and beyond anything we could ever ask. But at this point, he's already done above and beyond, but that's still not above and beyond for him. But three days of being in that grave, love said, enough's enough. Everything is fulfilled. Everything has been satisfied. Now it's time to put a seal on all of this. And in a moment, the Bible says that the ground began to shake and the stone began to move and angels started showing up. Angels started appearing, moving things around. And in one flash of a light, love came bursting out of the ground alive again. And God called from heaven and said, Adam, I found you. I found you. No longer to be hidden. No longer to be hidden from God again. No longer to be disconnected. Mankind is found. Love is often seen as a passive thing. But I want to remind you today that Love is the most powerful force. It's not just about good feelings. Love can withstand a whipping post and a cross and a grave. So next time you say, God loves you, don't let it just be a routine thing that we say. Let's never forget what that statement all by itself meant and what it means to us today. God loves you. And he sent his son to prove it. And I believe he did. Amen. I believe he proved to us that he truly loves us. So don't let those voices come in, those voices of doubt, to think that you've done too much for God to love you. Don't accept that voice. Because the reality is God has done too much to not love you. What he did with Jesus is so, big, it's so much bigger than anything you could do or not do. 
any of your own failings or shortcomings will never measure to the greatness of what Jesus did to pay for it. God loves you. Can I say it one more time? God loves you. Come on, turn to your neighbor and just tell him, God loves you. Now I want you just for a minute. Uh, this, this may be a little unusual for some of you. But I just want you in your own way. Just, we ask for wisdom and revelation to be at work within our spirits today. Listen. Oftentimes it's easier to tell someone else that God loves them than it is to say, God loves me. Take a minute and say that to yourself. God loves me. Come on, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. It's amazing what that does to satisfy the soul. God loves me. Amazing. Would you bow your heads for a moment, please? Father, we're so grateful today for your love. We're grateful today for how much you love us. Your word tells us that even when we were sinners, you loved us so much that even when we were sinners and lost, Christ died for us. Father, thank you that you didn't wait on us to love you first. But you loved us first, and because you do love us, we can love you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to be such a beautiful picture of what love really is and what love really looks like. Thank you for demonstrating your love as well as telling us. I pray, Father, that we, <clears throat> every day, would increase in our understanding, revelation, knowledge of your love for us. I ask you, Father, to reveal yourself to us every day in a new way so that we understand how much you love us. Lord, of all the truths that we could understand, there is no truth greater than the truth that you love us. And Lord, as we have said that you love us, we want to take just a moment and say, we love you. Father, we love you. Father, I thank you for each person here. And Lord, maybe there's some here today that that have had difficulty accepting love. I believe that love is strong enough to break through every barrier today. Love to pierce the darkness of every heart. Love to break through in its shining beautiful light and reveal its greatness. So I ask you, Lord, to do that right now. Reveal the beauty of your love to each person here. That, that the struggles of accepting love are over. The resistance to letting other people love them is over today. It's over today. 
Your word tells us that if we have been so greatly loved, we also ought to love others. So Lord, we, we purpose to be people who demonstrate the love of God. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for allowing us to love you back. We give you thanks.